0: Now, if you've been here before, <coughs> you'll know that in 2023, our entire Sunday teaching program is on the kingdom of God. If you're new here today, our entire teaching program for 2023 is on the kingdom of God. We've looked at the whole things to do with the king and what his kingdom is like. And isn't it good to know that we have a great savior? And isn't it amazing to know that our savior is a wonderful king? Ruling, reigning, the big and the small. I think you could, you could describe the Christian life in these terms. The Christian life is enjoying, expressing, and extending the kingdom of God. The, king, the Christian life is enjoying that God is king. The Christian life is expressing what does it look like to live when God is king. And the Christian life is extending, it's seeking that others may know this wonderful king who we love and serve. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at a bunch of kingdom priorities. We've looked at prayer, at justice, at righteousness, at peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And here's another one for today. Light. Light is a kingdom priority. Now, you may know that there are certain words that run through the whole Bible. They're like threads. You could look at the beginning of the Bible and you'll find them very close to the beginning and you'll find these threads weaved through the entire Bible. Things like this, mercy, judgment, sacrifice, salvation, covenant, faith, obedience, glory, presence. All of which tell us something about God and therefore something about his reign. What's it like to be in the kingdom when this king reigns? Another such word, another such thread is light. Light in the Bible is often associated with God and often contrasted with darkness associated with evil. So one of the letters at the end of the Bible says this God is light, and in him is no darkness. He's light. Nothing about him ever reflects darkness, nothing at all. He is altogether pure and lovely and right and perfect and beautiful. It is such a good thing to know not only that Jesus is saviour, but that he is a beautiful saviour, full of light, It's so good to know that God is not only king, but he is a beautiful king in whom there is no darkness at all. You may still have questions, but there's no need to question whether there's any darkness in him because there isn't. He is light. And those those who live under the reign of the king of light are said to now be in the light As opposed to being in darkness. So the New Testament letters tell us this very clearly. 1 Peter says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Paul says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We were in darkness outside of Christ In utter darkness. And we have now been put into light because we have been put into Christ, who is light, and brought into his kingdom of light. So life under his reign is meant to be full of light. The Lord is my light and my salvation, the psalmist says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, that doesn't mean that life is simple and there's no darkness around you. But you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are now in light. But there's more than that. Not only were we in darkness, the Bible actually tells us we were darkness. And not only are we now in the light, we are light. Paul tells us that. He says, you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness. You are now light in the Lord. It's very dramatic. I wasn't just unfortunate. I wasn't just lost and away from God. I was in myself a guilty sinner. I was darkness. But I'm now light in the Lord. God has not just taken me out of one kingdom into another Though he's gloriously done that, he has radically transformed my very nature from being darkness to being light. Such is the miracle he's done in us. You are light in the Lord. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, are light in the Lord. Some of you just need to hear that. Some of you are wrestling, struggling. You need to hear this. You are light in the Lord. And the principle goes like this. We have a king who is light. We live under his reign, which is all light. He's made us light, so live like light. That's how the New Testament ethic always works. Be what you now are. What God has made you, live like it which is why some of those things earlier that Katie was talking about are no longer to be associated with us because they're not living out your true identity. It's like, I remember once a footballer, well, this happens all the time, but I remember distinctly one footballer was with one club and he was brought out of, I don't know if he called it darkness, but he was brought out of darkness and transferred into a new team. And it's a little bit like that, old foot, that footballer playing for his old team rather than living out his new identity as light and living it. The New Testament ethic is this, know what you are. You are light in the Lord. Now live that. Be who God has declared you to be. All of which leads us to two passages in the Bible today. In which God's people are said not only to be in the light, not only to have light, but to be the light. First is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. What a bold statement that is. We'll read it in a moment. If I said to you, where, where do you think the average person gets their understanding of God? Of Jesus from, I wonder what you'd say. I would say this: I think most the average person gets their understanding of God and what it's like to be to be known by God and to be with him, from the church, from three primary sources. The first is, none of which are particularly helpful, by the way uh, three particular sources. One is from formal services. People go to weddings, they may go to christenings, though less these days. They may go to funerals, they may see a state service on the TV. And the conclusion is this, that has nothing to do with my everyday life and is therefore irrelevant. Secondly, I think they get their impression of church and God, Jesus, from TV soaps and sitcoms. Which is rarely positive, let's be honest. The first concludes, uh, this is irrelevant to everyday life. Usually I think the conclusion from TV, soaps and comedies is clearly anyone associated with that is either comical or sad. And the third one I think they get it from is the news. And the conclusion usually from news that is to do with the church is not only that this is sad, but this is possibly really bad. Anyone or anything to do with God, you better have nothing to do with them. What people are not usually thinking of when they think of the Christian faith of God of Jesus is light, beauty, goodness, purity, clarity. They might think the occasional Christian they might know is a particularly, I don't know, meritorious person. But generally, people do not look on God and the church and think light. Here's a couple of frightening comments from people from a few years ago. Bertrand Russell said, the Christian religion, as organized in its churches, often organized religion it's called, has been and still is the principal enemy of moral progress in the world. Don't think that people are just neutral. There's a lot of negativity. Richard Dawkins, who's famous for his comments on the Christian faith, said this, I think a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. (laughs) That's pretty strong. But in British culture, there is a particularly significant strand of that kind of thinking. Here's the point. It is an absolute tragedy. That the most beautiful one is seen as irrelevant or even as evil. This is light that we're talking about. And so much and so many think little of him and his people. And yet, light is exactly what Jesus says his followers are. Including you. If you are one of his followers. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. Let me read you a couple of verses. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's a very familiar, well known image. The idea in, in, in verse 14 envisages a town built on a hill. In a pre-industrial, pre-light pollution, pre-electricity age, in the dark of night, anything on a hill would clearly be visible and be a marker point, a, a guide to where you might perhaps be going. The, the image in verse 15 is from a small traditional house where one lamp would light the entire area when it's dark so that everybody can see. In both cases, light penetrates darkness. Light brings clarity where there's confusion. Light allows people to see things as they truly are rather than stumbling around. All of which Jesus is alluding to in his statement here. Now you might know that in John's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in John's gospel, Jesus is recorded as eight times saying, I am. They're called the famous I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, and so on. One of them is this. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Very interestingly, it's the only one of his I am statements, which are full of meaning. This is the only one recorded ...as being used for both himself and his followers. He says, I am the light of the world. He says to his followers, you are the light of the world. Which is a pretty extraordinary statement... ...to a group of unimpressive, flawed individuals who have very little to commend them except that Jesus has called them. To them, he says, you are the light of the world. And if you had been a Jew at that time and the Messiah had said you are the... Well, if he'd said I am the light of the world, you'd have understood. If he'd said you are the light of the world, you would have absolutely had your mind blown because of all the Old Testament stuff. And they are the light of the world... Not because they are better, not because they are more moral, not because they're cleverer. They are the light of the world and we are the light of the world because we have the light of the world himself in us. That's how he can call them that. He's just said to them, you are the salt of the earth. You might have heard that phrase too. Salt was largely a preservative in those days. In the day, again, of pre-electricity, no freezers, you rub enough salt into meat and it will stay for quite a significant time. It was also used for cleansing, fertilizing and flavoring. With both of these images, salt and light that we've just read about, Jesus is clearly saying your presence in the world is going to have a significant impact. Your presence in the world is going to help preserve the world from moral decay. And your presence in the world is going to mean light to that world. Let that light shine. Don't hide it away. Be present. Be in front of people. Don't hide your light away under a bowl. Who would do that? Madness. You've got one lamp in a small traditional house, you've lit it and put it under a bowl. I mean, it's a joke. It's meant to be a joke. I mean, what a ridiculous, stupid thing to do. No one's going to do that. Jesus is saying, do not hide the light that is in you from him under a bowl. We're clearly expected by Jesus not to hide away from society. We are clearly not expected to isolate ourselves away, as some perhaps have done. We are clearly not expected to be silent in the world. Salt has its effect in meat. Light has its effect in darkness. Tim Keller talks about neither withdrawing from society nor trying to command society. As followers of Jesus, he talks about a faithful presence within society. You are in the world, but not of it. But one has to be in the meat to be salt. One has to be in the darkness to have effect as light. There's a second passage I want us to look at. And then we'll apply them. Acts chapter 13. You are the light of the world and here I have made you a light for the nations. Now, in this context, Paul and Barnabas, two of the early church leaders, are touring around the place, planting churches, talking about Jesus. And they're in a place called Pisidian Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. And And they've gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as is their habit. And as is the habit of those leading in the synagogue, oh, there's a couple of guests here today. Would you like to share anything? And so these couple of guests, Paul and Barnabas, Get up and follow the invitation to speak by talking about the patriarchs in the Old Testament and then talking about the kings in the Old Testament and then talking about David, so they're right with him. Paul's got them. We're all agreed on this. The patriarchs, the kings, David. Oh, we love David. What a king. And then he says, From this man's descendants, from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. They were all with him. Now they want to stone him. He's just lost them all. Well, actually, he's probably got their attention all the more, but only because they want to stone him. He says, We tell you to this gathered audience of Jews, we tell you the good news. What God promised to our ancestors, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, they knew all this stuff, but not through Jesus, that heretic who we crucified a few years ago and then we get this Acts chapter 13 verse 42 as Paul and Barnabas were leaving after this very eventful meeting as they were leaving the synagogue the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next sabbath when the congregation was dismissed many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God on the next sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the lord that's how controversial this was. They all it. well, we better have a, better hear what they've got to say. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you, Jews, first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. To all those who are not of Jewish origin, we turn ourselves to four. This is where it gets interesting. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now you won't have noticed the fascinating word. So I'll tell you. The fascinating word in this is just two letters long. The fascinating word in verse 47 is us. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. Paul is quoting a well-known scripture to all those listening. Isaiah, what we know as Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. It's about the mission of God's servant who Paul is claiming is Jesus. And how that Messiah, the servant of God, will be the light for all the nations. So you might remember from Christmas times, we often say this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then Isaiah 49, which Paul is quoting here. It is too small a thing. God says through the prophet Isaiah, for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, for all the peoples, for all the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God's intent was never simply to send his Saviour to restore the fortunes of Jacob or the fortunes of the people of Israel. God had a world mission in his heart. He sends his Messiah, not to restore just the people of Israel, but for all nations so that the English and the Zambian and the South Africans and the Hungarian and the French and all nations can be part of the people of God on an equal basis. The Messiah will do that. But I told you there was an interesting word. I told you it was us because now in the speaking of Paul and Barnabas here, the early church has made a crucial link between the Messiah's mission and their mission. And it's us, the servant's mission, Jesus' mission, is our mission. Hence the us In verse 47, we, they, we will carry his light to all nations. We will take his salvation to the ends of the earth. The Messiah has come. His mission is extending. He's died. He's risen. He's ascended back to heaven. But the mission has not stopped because the mission to the Messiah becomes the mission to the Messiah's people, to Jesus' people, to make his salvation known to the ends of the earth. Now, where had they made that connection from? How did they know that what was spoken to the Messiah through Isaiah was now us? Well, from Jesus himself, of course. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus himself has taught them that the mission of the Savior becomes the mission of the Savior's people. So in short, God is light. Jesus is the light. His kingdom is light. And a major priority of his people is both to witness to the light and live as people of light. What does all that mean for us? Well, it means a whole bunch of things. It means a couple of things. It means that we have, of course, a light-bearing mission. It's wonderful to hear what people have said as they've stood here, has isn't it? Oh, well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> this is a family. We love this, we love that. I noticed the absence of something, which is not to blame anybody for their answers, not in the slightest. What I didn't hear was... I love the way that Citygate is owning Jesus' mission to go to the ends of the earth and to next door with the gospel. Did I miss that? Or did I? I didn't hear it, did I? No, no, just to say again, no blame, no complaints. It's just interesting. It's wonderful to build a church that feels like family. So it should. It's wonderful to build a church that worships and loves the Word, but because we worship and because we love the Word and because we understand who Jesus is, this must be a church on mission. It must be a church that doesn't settle with, this is going well. For then we would be missing the whole point of the mission of Jesus. Now, ultimately, the purpose of anything and everything is the glory of God. Why do you exist for the glory of God? To make his name great, to enjoy his beauty. Why does this church exist? It exists for the glory of God, which is why we're seeking to see lives transformed every day across the bay. But God is glorified in significant part when we let our light shine as a town on a hill, when we let our lamp shine, Shine so it fills the whole dark house. The church is not to hide away, but bring the light. Chris Wright said something which I thought was very helpful a number of years ago. God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. It's significantly different. God doesn't have like something for us to do while we're waiting for him to return or to die. Well, I better I'll i give him a mission. That'll keep him busy. That's not how it goes at all. He has a mission. He's always had a mission. Since before the foundation of the earth, he's planned that all nations may come to know him through the Old Testament. Then he sends his Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus comes as a light for all nations to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And then he sends his church This is what he's got us for. He has a mission and he has an agent of the mission and that is called the church, including this church. And we bring the light not only by making things more pleasant. It's a bit like salt. You might think, well, we're meant to be salt, so we're meant to stop things decaying so quickly, make things nicer. That's not really what Jesus is getting at. We're bringing Jesus to the world because he is the light of the world. The good deeds of Matthew 5 are more than niceness. They're the fruits of a life that is enjoying expressing and extending the kingdom of God. The goal in Acts 13 is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This church exists to bring God glory. In large part, we do that by extending the kingdom and bringing salvation next door and to the next nation and to the ends of the earth. If you are joining this church, please know that is in our heart. If you're joining this church, please know that is what we're wanting to call you up to. To love Jesus and love what he loves, which is to see salvation to the ends of the earth. It means that corporately and it means perhaps more personally, it means this. It means that a nice life is too small a goal for you. One error the Jews made in Jesus' day was that his Messiah would come to restore the tribes of Jacob. When the Messiah comes, Israel will be prominent again and restore the fortunes. But Isaiah's prophecy says that if that would be too small a thing. It'd be a good thing, but too small a thing because he's king of the whole world. And the Savior of all. I believe many Christians, me included, maybe you included as well, have a mindset similar to that Jewish era. God, keep me safe. Restore my life. Make life easier for for me and those I love. Make my circumstances nicer. It's our version of restoring the tribes of Jacob. And God has a bigger purpose for you than a nicer life. Now, God blesses us in a million ways, doesn't he? We are all blessed. He does do us good. He does restore us. But restoration is not an end in itself because his mission is to the ends of the earth. A nice life for you, a nice life for your children, a nice life for those you care for is too small a thing. And God wants to say to you this morning, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. For all those who don't know God, that you may bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. It was a London bus advert. Does anybody remember this? In 2009, and some some atheists had taken out an advert on, on London buses that on the side put, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. In other words, this thing called religion is oppressing people. The Christian faith is holding people back. Forget it. Get on and enjoy your life. And One writer said this, If somebody reads on the side of a London bus, there's probably no God. They should think, that can't be right. I know Sally or Fred or whoever, and she's a Christian, and God is clearly alive and well in her life. We are called to be the living proof of the living God. And if that does anything, it saves you from a mundane day. Because every single day, the goal is not a nicer life. It's the mission of God to the glory of God. Wherever he has placed you, in family, in friends, in a workplace, in a social setting, the goal is this. Lord Jesus, today, and I'm speaking to myself, every now and again I remember to pray this, but not often enough. Today, Lord... My goal is not just a nicer life. It's to make salvation go to next door in the ends of the earth. Because I am the light of the world. And you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And the mission hasn't changed. I would love us to pray. I'd love to hope that you've grasped the idea. I'd love us to pray on the back of it. I'd love us to pray about this week and about next week and about a mindset that understands, Lord, I wonder what you might do through me today. I, want, I'm, I missed an opportunity yesterday. I'm really annoyed. That's just stupid. I want to be sharper than that. Understanding that I, with the life of God in me, am the light of the world. And it might be as well that there are some here, perhaps from Katie's word or one of the other words earlier, who is in danger of losing their saltiness, in danger of putting that light under a bushel because something else is dominating life. So I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able. And I'm going to help us to pray. Here's how we're going to pray. You're going to pray for you. You're going to pray for you. You're going to pray that this week, whatever's going on, that this week, the Holy Spirit, the life of God in you, will empower you to own the statement, I am the light of the world. Can you dare to believe that? You are the light of the world. So why don't we just all around the room just start praying. Start saying, Lord, this week, my thinking is changing. I am the light of the world. Come on, let's start praying. Trust it, the Holy Spirit will come and empower and arrange. Lord, we ask you, this week, change my thinking. Change my attitude. Help me to see others in a different light. Help me not to go on just seeking a nicer life. That's too small a thing. But that I should be called to be part of the light of the world, that salvation may go to the ends of the earth. I pray it in the Holy Spirit. Pray it in Jesus' name. Pray it for those of you who are on holiday this week. Pray for those of you who are at work this week. Pray for those of you who have got a great week coming up. Pray for those of you who have got a very challenging week coming up. You are the light of the world. It's too small a thing to be anything else. If you know there's something that's covering your light, to put it that way, I would love to invite you to come for prayer afterwards. You might be able to grab a friend where you are. We're happy to pray with you that nothing will hold back salvation going to the ends of the earth. God, we thank you. You're such a king. You're amazing. We regret that so many don't see the beauty of the Savior. And Lord, we say empower us. Empower us to be a blessing to all nations, next door to the ends of the earth, that others may see the beauty of the Saviour, the beauty of the King, to the glory of God. And everybody together, we said, Amen. Amen.